So have you ever tried to do something special for someone? Looking for a way just to be kind. Maybe you, you sent someone a special note in the mail. Maybe you texted them a special meme one afternoon. Maybe you have a special gift under the tree for them or a special dinner at home. A man in Ontario, Canada came home from work one day when he walked in the door, all the lights were off, and he looked over in the dining room and saw that his wife had prepared an amazing candlelight dinner for his family that night. His two little boys were even wearing their very best suits standing over on the side of the table. He looked around in all the darkness and quickly joked, hey, didn't we pay the electric bill? A few months later, their family was sitting in the Christmas Eve service at church. Some of you already know where this is going. And so they're sitting there in in the silent, solemn reverence of a packed sanctuary. The candles are lit beautifully, and one of the man's youngest sons, very loudly and very seriously, hey, Dad, didn't these people pay their electric bill? Sometimes at this time of year, we look for special things to do for people. We look for special ways to serve people. We might buy somebody a gift. We might give a donation to the needy. We might invest in a missions offering. We might even make pies and cakes and fudge and cookies. You know, the Middle Ages, they get a bad rap when it comes to history. But if you like Christmas cookies, then the Middle Ages are your friend. Because it seems that when Christianity started coordinating things around the the pagan winter holidays, what they brought into the mix was desserts, right? Must have been some Baptists back there in the Middle Ages at some point. They brought desserts into the conversation. This was a time when it was amazing because the bakers, they started bringing the good stuff out for the first time into these meals. They brought butter. I mean, the, the good, expensive stuff. They brought the butter and the, and the sugar. They started experimenting with things like nutmeg and cinnamon. God bless the Middle Ages, right? It's amazing. Are you expecting some guests this holiday season? Are you making some special preparations for them? Are you, are you thinking of something special that you can do for them? And when you look at those preparations... What do those preparations say about you? What do your special preparations in life to love and serve others say about your heart and your mind? Or we might ask, what do a lack of special preparations in your life to love and serve others say about your life? Paul's going to help us find some of those answers. Listen to his letter to his friend Philemon, beginning in verse 22. At the same time also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Paul was definitely a a half full glass kind of guy, right? He's in prison as he's writing this letter, okay? So he's in prison. He's not like in a metaphorical prison. He's not in a glass cage of his emotions. He is actually in prison. He's in prison. He might even be in chains. Not turnover chains, but actual chains. He might be chained up as a prisoner. And what is he doing as he is incarcerated in prison? Well, he's making travel plans. Of course, that's what everybody does in prison, right? He's making travel plans. 
He's planning on going to see Philemon. He says, Philemon, listen, I'm going to be coming your way eventually, so make sure you've got a room prepared for me. Now, why would he be saying something like this from prison? Well, maybe he had been chatting up the guards, and the guards had kind of told him, hey, man, things are looking really good. We're, we're thinking you're going to get out really soon. And so he was actually making some real plans to go to Philemon's house. Or maybe he didn't know for sure if he was going to get out, but, but he was hoping he might get out, so he was just making some general plans to go to Philemon's. Or maybe he knew he was never going to get out. And he wrote something like this because he wanted to drive home a point to Philemon. What point did he want to drive home to him? Well, he wanted him to do what he asked. Philemon, have a room ready for me because when I come, I want to be sure I found that you have done what I asked. So what did he ask him to do? Well, Paul wrote to his friend and he asked him to forgive one of his slaves, a, a runaway slave named Onesimus. Onesimus, foolishly and rebelliously, he, he ran away to Rome. He stole from Philemon. He cost Philemon money. He broke Philemon's trust. He did him wrong. Not just Philemon, but really the whole house of Philemon. If he had been caught, he would have been jailed. He might have even been executed. But he gets to Rome, and, and he just happens to bump into the Apostle Paul. And he hears the gospel, and he gets saved. And how we know that he really got saved instead of just kind of walking the Roman aisle and, and praying a sinner's prayer? How do we know he was truly saved? Well, because his life changed. He went from being a rebellious, runaway slave of Philemon to being a humble gospel servant to Paul. His life had changed. Paul was one of the most amazing and most accomplished Christians that ever lived. Maybe the most amazing and the most accomplished. And Paul said that Onesimus, this runaway slave, was valuable to him. An illegal runaway, saved by Jesus, became a true, valuable gospel help to maybe the most profound Christian that ever lived on the earth. That's more than just walking the aisle. That's more than just praying a sinner's prayer. Onesimus, his life had changed. Everything about his life has changed. His life was captured by the glory of God. He was rescued and redeemed, and then he was released to serve others with freedom and joy. What about you? Have you been captured by the glory of God? Have you been rescued and redeemed and released to love and serve others in freedom and in joy? Has the gospel captured your heart? Have you been changed? There's a phrase around Christmas time that goes something like this. May you never outgrow the magic of Christmas. Unless you count the fact that Black Friday sales now start the second Monday of July, Christmas is actually still just the one time a year. So the magic of Christmas is just the, the one time of year, so to speak. So I want to take that little phrase and, and amplify it a little bit. Stir your minds and your hearts in a direction that's, that's greater than just the magic of Christmas and say this, may you never outgrow the miracle of being saved. May you never outgrow 
the miracle of being saved. If you're saved, it's a miracle of God. You're a miracle. You are a miracle of the the love and the mercy and the compassion and the riches of God through Jesus, the Messiah. You are a miracle. And the power of that miracle is amazing. What kind of power are we talking about? John Piper writes, only a fool wants fading power. Only a fool wants power that gives out just when you need it most. Just so you know, almost every single government power in the United States is a power that will fade. I'm sorry. Every single government power in the United States is a power that will fade. Every single dictator in power right now will lose his power. Every power in this world will submit, will yield, will fade before the power of Jesus Christ. His is the divine final power. Five years old. God is able to strengthen all of you with a kind of inner strength of soul through faith in Christ that makes you stronger in a wheelchair than 10,000 moral jellyfish drifting on two legs with the current of modern culture. (laughs) Yeah, no one talks like that, all right? But but just really, let's just marinate on that just, just for another second. That makes you stronger in a wheelchair, than 10,000 moral jellyfish drifting on two legs with the current of modern culture. That's power. That's, That's power. All right, round two of marinating. Piper goes on. What we want is the kind of strength that will be here when we are paralyzed and can only answer questions with our eyelids. That's strength. That is inner strength. That's the kind of strength that we want. And that strength can only come from the gospel. Can't come from anything else. So so I want you to think of everything else in your life that you're hoping might give you a a little power, might give you a a little inch forward, might help you a little bit in life. (laughs) Listen to this. Sexiness won't work. Altoids won't work. Assertiveness won't work. Maneuvering into positions of power, it will all seem like ashes. Only one power will matter according to the gospel. And what power is that? The power of the O Holy Night. The power that makes us fall on our knees. The power, the grand, the glorious, the great power of Jesus, the Messiah. And that power, that power, it stirs us with with a passion when we are paralyzed. What does that mean? Piper goes on. Do I have the strength to blink yes to Jesus one more time? That's power. But that's the power you want. The power of the gospel, creating so much hope, so much joy, so much confidence in your life that if you can do nothing but blink, that you want to blink yes 
to Jesus because you have discovered that he is that great, that grand, that glorious. That's power. That's not just walking the aisle and and praying a sinner's prayer power. This is the power of God to salvation, to everyone who believes in and clings to Jesus. Piper goes on, and I quote, you never, 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 never outgrow your need for the gospel. I had to listen to that like 12 times just to make sure I got the, uh, the nevers right. You never outgrow your need for the gospel. I mean, just think about that. I'm 46, been a believer for, I don't know, 30 years now. I've never outgrown my need for the gospel. Two of my close friends, 93 and 96, they've never outgrown their need for the gospel. Today, one of them is watching their iPad, watching our service right now. She hasn't outgrown her need for the gospel. We never outgrow our need for the gospel. It never happens. Piper goes on, don't ever think of the gospel as, oh, that's the way you get saved. And then you get strong by leaving it and doing something else. In other words, what you do, oh, that's, that's how I got saved. Shook the preacher's hand, got baptized, names on the roll. I walked the aisle at camp. Whatever I did, I'm good. I did what you have to do to get saved. No, that's not the gospel. It's always the beginning. It's always the first step. The folks that we baptized last week, it's, it's a step. We're, we're moving them as they continue to follow Jesus, as the inner power continues to work inside of them. Don't ever think of the gospel as something that you do to get saved, and then you move on to go to college, and you move on to get a job, and you move on to raise your family, and you move on to retire. No, that's not the gospel. That's not what Jesus was born for. It's not what Jesus died for. We never outgrow the gospel. Onesimus did not outgrow the gospel. He didn't get saved over in Rome and and then do something else. No, he went back home repentant. God had changed him. And the gospel was still part of his life. History records that the pastor of the church at Ephesus was someone named Onesimus. Was it the same guy? We don't know for sure. But what we do know is that Onesimus got saved. And when he got back to Philemon's house, he was a changed man because of the gospel. And Paul asked Philemon to forgive him because he was a changed man in the gospel. Paul was also hoping to make his way back to Philemon's house himself. Why? So he could see this thing. You know, these two guys that personally and professionally should have had bad blood. There should have been problems and, and conflict between them. Paul wanted to go to Philemon's house so he could see these two guys not only not having conflict, not only not having bad blood, not just getting along, but being friends, having a relationship because of Jesus. And not just a relationship here, but a relationship now in eternity with Jesus. If Paul did get released, how was he going to get released? Listen to what he said in the last part of verse 22. For I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. 
<laughs> I mean, Paul's really laying it on this Philemon guy, right? I mean, first, he says, look, I'm sending Onesimus back to you, runaway slave. There's all these normal laws and customs that you would normally follow. I want you to throw all that stuff out. Just ignore what your parents and your grandparents and your friends, your neighbors, what everybody's expecting, all the folks at church, they're all expecting you to do this. Don't do that. Do this. Just forgive Onesimus. That's what I want you to do. I want you to forgive him. Why? Because he's been saved. Because he came back humble, confessing his sins. I want you, I want you to just forgive him. And, and what if, just play it for a second, what if after he got saved, Onesimus was caught? What if he was jailed? What if he was beaten? What if he was executed? Paul's writing in such a way that says, this guy got saved. So if he was beaten to the point of death, his last blink would be a yes for Jesus. That's why Philemon needed to forgive him. But then, Paul goes beyond the forgiveness. And he says, look, I want to get out of prison, so I want you to pray me out of prison. <laughs> no pressure there, right? Philemon, I'm counting on you to pray me out of prison. Now, why would Paul think that Philemon would pray like that? James chapter 5, verse 1 says this in the King James. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. What does that mean? Well, the word effective and effectual here is where we get our word energy. So there's energy behind earnest, fervent prayer. And what is that energy? Peter said this, 2 Peter 1, 21, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So prophecy, prayer, purpose, whatever it is that we do in life as believers, the energy Behind it is the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is the energy behind earnest, fervent prayer. So what is earnest, fervent prayer? Well, it's not popcorn prayer. It's not blessing your food prayer. It's not now lay me down to sleep prayer. It's not just like going through a big long list of everything that's wrong in your life. Now, it's, it's different. Earnest prayer that we see modeled in the Bible and really taught in the New Testament is passionate. It doesn't quit easily. It doesn't do just what it has to do to get by. Earnest prayer is, is hard work. Earnest prayer is investment. Earnest prayer involves commitment. What kind of commitment? And what kind of person makes a commitment to earnest prayer? A righteous person, a person like Philemon. What makes a righteous man righteous? What makes a righteous woman righteous? Paul said this, Romans chapter 3, there is no distinction for all. Just do the math on that, all right? Pick anybody in your neighborhood. <laughs> Pick someone you don't like at school or work. Uh, pick yourself in the mirror. Pick somebody that you've never seen in another country. All, and then 
past, present, future, any person in history, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. All right, so we got two things here. We got with Christ and we got without Christ. Without Christ, you fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? It means that things are emphatically and eternally wrong between you and God. Things are not right between you and God. Why? Because of sin. Sin separates you from God in such a way that you are blocked. You are cut off from any hope in this world or in the world to come. Without Christ has absolutely no positives. With Christ, though, things are different. With Christ, you're like Onesimus. You've repented. You have been captured by the glory of God. You've been rescued and redeemed and released. Your life has been changed, and now you have hope in this world, and you have hope in the world to come. With Christ means your standing changes. Through his birth, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, Jesus makes things right between you and God. He changes your standing. There's a story told of an Englishman many years ago that was off in a foreign country. He was arrested for some unknown reason and and was immediately sentenced to be executed by being shot by a firing squad. The British ambassador found out about this and showed up in the place of execution on the day he was supposed to be executed, walked over to the man and wrapped a British flag around him. The firing squad backed off. The the soldiers didn't want to have anything to do with this because in their mind, they thought that shooting on that man while he had that flag wrapped around his body was like they were attacking the British Empire and they didn't want to have anything to do with it. Robert Morgan says this, When we come to Jesus Christ, we're wrapped in the flag of his righteousness. And when God sees us, he sees Jesus. And we're protected from judgment. See, if you've been protected from judgment, if things are right with you and God, if you've been wrapped in the righteous flag of Jesus, then you should live out your righteousness. Your right living should be part of who you are. Philemon was living out his rightness. He was in right standing with God, and Paul knew that, and Paul knew his prayers sounded like he was in right standing with God. What did Philemon pray like? Something like this, Psalm 115, verse 1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. See, Paul knew that Philemon was the kind of man who was not out trying to make a name for himself. He knew that he was captivated by the glory of God. And so he knew that the prayers of his righteous friend Philemon were availing much and that those righteous prayers might availeth him right out of prison. And so he asked him to pray. But Paul wasn't in prison by himself. Listen as he continues, verse 23 and 24. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. 
Paul was not alone on some remote island passing out these you know, dictatorship rules to everybody. No, there were five guys doing life with him. Five other guys who were praying for this whole relationship with Philemon and Onesimus. Philemon probably knew all these men personally, or at least by reputation. They were all on staff with, with Paul's ministry. They always helped, but Epaphras was more than just on staff. He was actually a prisoner with Paul. And the other guys, although they weren't directly prisoners, they, they probably were able to see Paul every day. So there was a lot of interaction going on between these five men. They were passionately connected to Paul's ministry, and they would have been praying that Philemon read this letter about forgiving Onesimus and that he'd do it. Why? Well, because their hearts had been captured by the glory of God. They had been rescued and redeemed and released to serve others. They were not just in a vacuum. They were part of a kingdom that God was building. And they wanted Philemon to do everything he possibly could to make sure that at that church meeting at his house, in that community where they were living, that what he did did nothing to fade the glow of the gospel in their community. One quick sat note among these guys is Demas. We don't know all the details, but it seems he was a a Judas to Jesus type of thing. At one time here, he was a huge part of the ministry, but then later Paul writes that, that he abandoned Paul because he loved this present world too much. His name alone is just a good reminder. Do not love this present world so much that the things here become a greater treasure than Jesus. Paul closes his letter with this sentence. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You know, we hear a lot this time of year about the Christmas spirit. And we hear a lot of that Christmas spirit usually in Christmas songs and Christmas carols. The songs that we hear riding down the road or walking through the store. One of those songs is is unique in its character because it's written from the perspective of a soldier stationed overseas during World War II. It's a completely different perspective. It was recorded in October 1943 by Bing Crosby. It immediately became the most requested song at all the USO shows. And when you consider it, when you think about it, the words are very familiar, but but when you put it in context, that it was written to honor people who were defending the freedom, who actually defended the freedom that you're enjoying and I'm enjoying right now. It's a little more than a Christmas carol when you put it in that context. These are the original words. I forgot, I made a little note here. My friend Raymond Reed is with Jesus now, but, but Raymond was really musically gifted. For those of y'all who, who remember uh, shape notes, Raymond always talked to me about shape notes and, and how shape notes were how he learned how to sing and do everything. Raymond and his twin brother spent a lot of cold, very hard, difficult nights in France during World War II. And he'd shared some of the stories and some of the things that happened to his feet, his time in the hospital. And you know, when I I read the words of this song, I can see Raymond. And I can just see him sitting somewhere in the dark with a flashlight or a candle or something, writing these words. 
and they'd go like this. I'll be home for Christmas. You can plan on me. Please have snow and mistletoe and presents on the tree. Christmas Eve will find me where the love light gleams. I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams. Paul was sitting in prison and he was dreaming. He was dreaming. He was dreaming of of going home. Not his home, but but Philemon's home. He was was dreaming of, of going to this place where the love light was gleaming. Why? Well, to offend all of us, Because things were happening at that home that don't always happen in our homes. There was forgiveness. There was repentance. Paul wanted to go home to Philemon's house to see this amazing thing. But these two men who should have been at odds, these two men who should have had bad blood, they had a friendship in Jesus. We don't know if Paul's dream came true on earth, but we know it did come true. Because we know that that right now Paul is at home. And he's at home with Philemon and he's at home with Onesimus. They have been at home for about 1900 years, our time. Because the promises of the gospel tell us that in Christ, Even if all we can do is blink yes in Jesus, our yes is answered and satisfied in the atoning blood of Jesus. They've been home for a long time, and it wasn't the Christmas spirit that got them home. It was the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace. This whole letter is a letter of grace. It's a letter from Paul to Philemon. Hey, Philemon, I want you to remember the amazing grace that saved a wretch like you. And then I want you to take that grace, and I want you to use that grace, and I want you to forgive Onesimus. Just just forgive him. What about you? Have you received the amazing grace of Jesus? Do, Do you really get that you once were a wretch, lost, and now... You've been found. You once were blind, but, but now you see. And if, if you've received that grace, do you need to do something with that grace? Is there someone that you need to go and, and repent and confess sin to? Is there someone that you need to go and forgive and, and show mercy to? Can people find that more than just on Christmas Eve, you're a place where the love light of the gospel gleams? Can they see and hear the gospel from you in such a way that they find out that Jesus Christ is the definition of hope and that they can be home in him in so many more ways than just home for Christmas? And it is not only a dream, but it is a reality because of who he is. The title of the sermon today is Where You Forgive. So where do you forgive? Where do you forgive? Will you forgive anywhere and everywhere that the grace of Jesus can reach?
So where can the grace of Jesus reach? Anywhere and everywhere at any time of the year. The grace of Jesus can reach someone on Christmas Day. The grace of Jesus can reach someone on Valentine's Day. The grace of Jesus can reach someone on Arbor Day. The grace of Jesus can reach someone on National Waffle Iron Day. The grace of Jesus can meet someone on the second Monday of July. And the grace of Jesus can meet someone on any random Thursday. There is no time, there is no place, there is no holiday, there's no second, there's no hour that the grace of Jesus cannot reach someone. And you know what? The grace of Jesus can reach spouses that won't repent. And the grace of Jesus can reach spouses that won't forgive. And the grace of Jesus can reach children that won't listen. And the grace of Jesus can reach parents that won't listen. And the grace of Jesus can reach friends that take advantage. And the grace of Jesus can reach politicians that lie. And the grace of Jesus can reach church members that gossip. You see, there is no person, no place, anywhere, at any time, that the grace of Jesus cannot reach. There's no place. There's no place. Therefore, when we ask the question, hey, where do you forgive? Everywhere and anywhere is a good place to repent. Maybe today, maybe in this room, maybe in your car on the way to the restaurant. Maybe this afternoon in the middle of the children's program. Anywhere and everywhere is a good place to repent. Guess what? Anywhere and everywhere is also a good place to forgive. Anywhere, everywhere is a good place to forgive. I repeat what I said earlier. You never outgrow your need for the gospel. You never outgrow your need to repent. You never outgrow your need to forgive. You never outgrow your need for grace. And so, we wish you a merry Happy Christmas. But we wish for you more. We wish for you the inner power, the inner beauty, the inner majesty, the inner love, the inner mercy, the inner grace that helps you with joy and confidence even if all you can do is blink yes to Jesus. We wish for you that. And so we simply say, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ truly be with your spirit.